0: Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and
1: beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right. So, hey, everyone. Uh, Welcome to the Indigo Podcast. Ben, what are we going to talk about in this episode?
0: Hey, Chris. So this is going to be a little bit different (laughs) From our other episodes, because what we're trying to do with this episode is to provide folks who don't really know us and don't know about the Indigo podcast a little bit more information. So, in this episode, uh, which we recommend that if you're not familiar with us or the episode that, or the podcast that you start with this episode, uh, we're going to talk about us a little bit and where we've come from, how we've come to view the world, and so forth. And then we're going to talk about this podcast, the Indigo Podcast, why we're doing it, and our approach toward it. So if you already know all about us, if you already know all about the podcast, uh, that's awesome. And you can feel free to skip this episode. If you want, you can move on to our next episode, unless you really want to hear maybe some nuggets of information that you don't already know about us.
1: So that's uh, what we're doing in this episode. Yeah, so I guess um, let's start with how we met, Ben. Yeah, how we
0: met. Twas a dark and stormy night. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> well, kind of. Uh, so this was in February of 2013, and Gosh, it was a... So I long know. so long ago. And time flies when you're having fun. Uh, and this was uh, in Kabul, Afghanistan, on the other side of the world. Um, on lovely Camp Eggers, where we were both serving, uh, you in the Army National Guard, uh, I'm in the Navy Reserve, um, and you had been there already for a little while. I showed up there at the end of December, and during that uh, the month of January and, and parts of February, my office mate, this Dutch lieutenant colonel, he uh, kept on pestering me to come and do guitar lessons with Chris and so that was that was a horrible impression of a dutch accent <laughs> but anyway he, <laughs> he was so cool he, what a great guy i know he was he was a good dude um and so yeah he, he was pestering me to do this and so finally i was like okay and so i ordered a guitar which shockingly like showed up um you know it it was pretty fascinating how you know shipping actually worked pretty well you could order stuff through amazon or wherever else and stuff would actually show up to our base so i ordered this little guitar and uh went over and the instructor of this this guitar lesson that was being held on a weekly basis was none other than chris everett (laughs) yeah at the
1: at the time you know i was running a weekly well most most weeks a uh, guitar lesson for people, but it was great if my unit ever needed something. I generally knew somebody through this big old guitar uh class that I taught that could help us get it, you know mm-hmm. um, you know a part for repair or expedited approval for something it's actually a pretty good good thing to do b at that point yeah
0: so you were just you were only doing this for the networking, you weren't trying to just help us you know, become musicians, Chris, I'm, I'm scandalized right now. Well,
1: I mean, based on the amount you guys practiced. <laughs> <laughs> based on the yeah. amount we even had time for practice. That's, that's
0: true. That's true. There wasn't a whole lot of time for that. But uh, it is fascinating. Like if you haven't deployed with the military to a place like Afghanistan, or maybe Iraq, some of these other places where, you know, everybody's stuck on the base, like leaving the base is a kind of a big deal. You and I did that quite a bit. And uh, you had to take certain precautions and so forth, right? Um, so, by and large, you stuck on the base, um, you know, f- for for long periods of time, and and uh, you would be, um, you know, working uh, alongside a bunch of people. It's like a little city, but everyone's away from their families. And so, I people laugh when I say this, but I actually had a more robust social life in Afghanistan than I probably did since I was an undergraduate in college. Well, well, yeah, Ben. I mean, you. I, <laughs> you, you were watching your kids or working copious amounts <laughs> that 's just true and, and yeah or or trying to record podcasts and things like that yeah, so it was um you know we had so we had this guitar lesson where you were instructing us, and we did that uh you know for a number of months, uh, as the weather started to get a little better, then we shifted over to uh, i don 't know whose idea it was at first, I think it was something that maybe we we resurrected from maybe the year before or something we said hey well we're gonna start cigars and guitars night and we so we started doing this on thursday nights behind this one building that was where actually like some... a
1: canadian's idea she was, uh, you know she liked the uh cuban cigars you could get from the german px and stuff so yeah yeah
0: so um so leave it to the canadians to find a uh like a fun thing to do. I loved working with them. Um, and so a group of us would gather and some people would just kind of hang out and, sm- and smoke their cigars. Others, uh, you and I, you know, among them would kind of play along with our guitars and sing some songs and just kind of have a good time and drink some non-alcoholic beers. And, uh, and you know, we'd do that for a little while and then we'd, people would kind of trickle off and go to bed. Um, and we did that every Thursday uh you know through actually so you left i, I, I was there um well, you left like a few months later i think you left sometime in the summer right um to go back home or whatever and uh right. we kept on doing it even after you left um but it was it was a lot of fun actually
1: yeah that i was you know it was like bad karaoke sing along you know with it the, was. with whatever <laughs> radio hits at the time a, Yeah, a lot yeah. of 90s yeah
0: Right, right. And of course, along the way, we were, um, you know, you and I discussed, you know, what we kind of did in our civilian worlds. I knew that you, uh, you know, did some consulting work and so forth. And then uh, you knew that I was a a professor and a consultant in my civilian life. And, uh, And that was kind of it. We didn't really talk a whole lot in depth about like our approaches towards changing organizations or any of that kind of stuff until uh we had both returned from afghanistan we were you know doing our civilian thing um and then you reached out yeah at i some forget point. what
1: it was i i was think i was like man i wonder what ben is doing yeah
0: well and, and so we, i think we talked um it was it was actually it was a couple of years it was like a year or two after we had gotten back you reached out and we had a great phone conversation and, and And I learned a little bit more about like what kinds of stuff you're doing with your consulting work. And I shared what I was doing and so forth. And then just like serendipitously had this consulting project uh, land in in my lap that
1: needed like a whole lot of exactly what you offer. Right. And um, yeah, and then we just ended up doing some gigs together and had such a good time. We kind of just decided to formalize it. Uh we yeah. we didn't want to do uh gigs alone anymore. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. And so, you know, so we started uh our firm Indigo Anchor back in uh formally launched in May of 2018. And um yeah, and that's kind of where where our trajectory went from Afghanistan to working together, uh doing some consulting work and so forth. Um so that's kind of from 2013 to present so so to speak. Uh but I think it'd be interesting for our listeners just to you know hear a little bit more about our our life, our education, our career and so forth. So I think we'll start with you. Uh I'd like to hear, you know, tell us a little bit about your background. Um you know, what what is it that that Chris is all about and where have you been? What have you been through? What what kinds of things uh have you done education career-wise and so forth?
1: Yeah, so I guess the main themes of my life have been like way too much reading and uh playing guitar um <laughs> <laughs> you know, I grew up. I just had this like really huge reading thing um definitely what like, kinds of stuff
0: did you like reading
1: okay, so one of the big things was like uh the great books of the Western world put hmm. together by Adler um and really kind of the Western canon, as it were uh yeah, I thought it was cool that you know, really smart people put together lists of books of like, hey, start here. Um whereas, you know, what are some
0: examples of books that are on that list? Just like like, in case our listeners don't know.
1: You'll you'll read uh Origin of the Species by Darwin and then you'll read Mm -hmm. stuff like Aristotle and those kinds of items. And then you'll also read stuff about like optics and, and stuff. These are like the themes um that repeat themselves over and over throughout Western literature. So yeah. I I thought that was really cool. I, I still think that's cool. Uh and then on top of that, uh, I guess so I wasn't a complete dweeb growing up through high school. You know, I, I played a lot of uh guitar, which primarily electric guitar at that time. Uh mm. actually ended up playing for a living out of Nashville for a while, uh, post college. But um wow. so one of the interesting things that you start learning as as even a kid is like how people organize, you know, band politics and and all that kind of stuff. Um, actually an undergrad, I studied, uh, theology, historical studies, which I thought was interesting, like how doctrine evolved, uh, and those kinds of issues for, uh, people of the uh, Christian faith persuasion. Um, ended up doing a lot of church work with, uh, choirs and stuff like that. Um, finished my undergrad in, uh, and actually, sacred music. I uh, ended up getting recruited and scholarshiped um, over in the music department, and finished that out after a long six-year undergrad stint. <laughs> <laughs> Cha- changing that major, you know. And uh, hey,
0: hey, lot, lots of people go to college for six years. <laughs>
1: I loved it. I, it's like, man, I could just stay here. You have interesting conversation with professors yeah. and everything. And um, sure, that's great. So I did that, uh, then um, played music for a bunch of years in Nashville, and then it was interesting because you'd meet these uh, guys that were playing some of the best guitar of their life and not making a whole lot of cash. And so I was was like, wow, name a a career where you actually get better at your craft and have strong odds of making less money each subsequent year. Wow. So got out of that, and... um, Decided to get my master's in accounting and I joined the National Guard. Uh, I thought that would be interesting. Um, we were, you know, definitely engaged in the Middle East at that time. And I was interested in what was going on with that. Learned a bunch of things I wanted to know and a bunch of things I uh, didn't want to know, maybe <laughs> about good and not so good ways of organizing. And um, right. yeah, it got back from. Afghanistan and, you know, had a corporate career going side by side with a lot of that stuff. Um, Yeah, mainly in the, uh, well, my master's is in accounting. I think I I mentioned that, but um, mainly in the IT project management world, you know, Mm -hmm. I used to write code when I was a kid as well. So yeah, just kind of a lot of my stuff came up with the challenges of groups writing software, And managing that and the, I don't know, the typical management developer friction that kind of came through there. I guess that's... Sure. That's me in a nutshell. I mean,
0: that's... (laughs) uh... whenever people say that, I always think of the Austin Powers quote, this is me in a nutshell. Help, I'm in a nutshell. How did I get in this nutshell? (laughs) Um, So so that's you in a nutshell. Uh, Yeah, you know, what what strikes me about your background and your career and stuff is, I mean, a lot of this was you've taught yourself a ton along the way. Like, I have a PhD. I'm around people who... Read and write and stuff a lot, and we all just do that for a living. And uh, you know, you probably read just as much as we do, if not a little bit more, even um, which is which is rare, uh, and but, but I think highly useful. I, I mean, you know, what were I guess some of the things that you read or some of the approaches you came across that that helped you, um, you know, f- fix or improve some of the groups and organizations you've been around
1: well yeah um so you know being touring and stuff as a musician you have a lot of time on the road um i remember reading adam smith's the wealth of nations while <laughs> well while, while i was touring <laughs> so i guess themes for me have been um a lot of them It has been like personal development you know after you develop kind of once you kind of have the Western Canon uh, at least gone through, you, you know some of the stuff had to do with like from the clinical world, like um, how do you sort out um, your personal issues? you mm-hmm. know if we talk about having character and integrity, how do we do that practically? Whereas like maybe the classics just talk about the importance of those items. well, well how does one develop that? You know, what's the how-to on some of that? And so, you know, I read through a lot of pop literature, and a lot of that left me unsatisfied. So, I mm-hmm. meant going into, like, foundational uh, theories about how our psyches are put together and how we make, how we make decisions. Um,
0: right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you didn't mention this, but you, you know, you're, you're married and have two little girls and, you know, it seems like even some of the stuff that you've read to help, uh, with all of your relationships and, and strengthen all of that, like you've taken an evidence-based approach even towards those types of things, which has been really fascinating from an, from my perspective.
1: Yeah. The, um, you know my family what didn't stay together and uh that really was an impact on my life and i was just surprised that you know like when i got married inevitably all marriages will go through challenges and sure. um there I don't know. Like, we, we met a lot of therapists that were, like, not so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. So, you know, when, like, oh, just this wasn't a good fit. You know, after you've been through so much literature, you could tell, like, maybe this person just kind of passed through their <laughs> grad school <laughs> and observation just with the minimum, you know? Ugh. And, um. Uh, or some of them were super smart, you know, PhD credentialed, super engaged, and they just didn't have pragmatic ways of helping us get through that stuff. So that was something where I read through tons of that literature um, and what's, you know, well, what does the evidence teach us? Because there, there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff out there that's just, you know, papers written on it and maybe some approaches, but, you know, that's you know, Gottman, um, you know, some of his material. So there was, you know, there's this always this gap that I was seeing uh, between like the super, these are what the smartest people in the world are studying on this topic and the, oh, well, okay, that's great, guys. Well, uh, how do we actually use that to make an impact in our own lives and the lives of the people around us and and in our relationships with others?
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And you know, what I've noticed just getting to know you over the past number of years and working with you is that, you know, you take that approach towards, um, you know, our work with organizations and towards trying to figure out and improve the way that businesses work, uh, you know, in addition to, you know, fixing, fixing your marriage and your interpersonal relationships, there is evidence and science around how uh, organizations can work, right? And it seems like you know, you're always very interested in what the data tells us about these types of things.
1: Uh, sure. And lots of times when I, you know, meet an executive that I've been brought in to coach, it's you know, you ask a question like, How's stuff going on in your personal life? And if that person mm-hmm. is facing massive challenges in their relationships uh at home, whatever those are, that oftentimes shows up in their work. And also it shows up interestingly in their interpersonal, the way they relate to each other. And so if you can help somebody recalibrate some of those perspectives, often it changes how they engage with the organization writ large, right?
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Excellent. So,
1: so Ben talk about
0: your Yeah, turn it over to, to me, I guess. Yeah, right?
1: that's so Ben, life education, career. <laughs> oh goodness. So I have
0: had a uh, a somewhat circuitous um route towards what I do now. Uh, which is not exactly what a lot of people go through, you know. So I'm, I have, I, I guess I'll start with the present. You know, I I, I wear three hats. Uh, you know, with you I uh, founded and helped run our consulting firm, Indigo Anchor, and we do this podcast. And then I also, I'm currently a commander in the U.S. Navy Reserve. I've been an officer in the in the Navy now for um, more than 17 years. And then. Uh, on top of that, I'm a professor at uh, Cleveland State University, where I, um, I teach primarily organizational behavior and human resources in our MBA program. Uh, we also have a master's program in HR, and then we have a doctoral program that I teach in as well. So that's where I am now, but then, you know, how I got there is has been a fairly curvy, uh, definitely uncertain at times path. Um, you know, I started off. So I have a, I have a weird childhood. You know, I uh, or I'll say maybe not weird. I'll say it's atypical. Um, I didn't go to school until I was in eighth grade. I love this story. Yeah, and so <laughs> um, my, uh, so I was born in Colorado, and when I was um, almost five years old, my parents decided we were going to move to Southern Indiana and live on a farm with my uncle. Uh, we were, they were going to build homes together and homeschool the kids together and do this kind of grand thing and uh, live off the land and so forth, um, and that was, a, that was an interesting experience just in and of itself. Um, part of it being that, so, we, so I was born in this little resort town, uh, Durango, Colorado, and uh, moving from there to southern Indiana, you know, we sold our house. Uh, my uncle was uh, supposed to get us a house trailer to live in uh, <laughs> dur- during during the home construction phase, and I don't know if I've told you this, maybe I have, but... Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, I've told you this story. So a couple, I guess it was like a couple weeks prior, and so remember, I was, like, I was little at the time, I was almost five, you know, four, or five-year-old, um, but I distinctly remember hearing this, like, my parents were like, well, Uncle Rick, uh, you know, he was going to get us a trailer, but he couldn't find a trailer, but he called the other day and said, I got you this great school bus.
1: It's like... And we're like,
0: wait, what? This
1: is something straight out of, like, kids. <laughs> like, what was that series? The Boxcar Children. It's like... I know. You were one of the bus children.
0: That's right. And so we... Uh, yeah, so he he got this school bus, and it didn't run at the time, I don't think, but he took all the seats out and put carpet in it and, like, little steps up the emergency exit in the back. So we used the back door. And um, put like some mattresses in there. We got like a little wood-burning stove in there. Uh, safety regulations were not really um, a concern, I, I suppose. So we had this little <laughs> wood-burning stove with a, with a little chimney that went up and out through one of the windows. Like it, it was in, fascinating, right? So we lived in this school bus um, for about three months. And the home building thing wasn't really happening. I don't know all the details. Again, I was five years old. So uh, eventually we, you know, after about three months of that, we moved to another part of, in more of a, I guess, I guess closer to town, but not still, still very rural. Um, And then we eventually moved into a house in a little town, uh, not too far away and spent a number of years living there. But during that whole time, didn't go to school. So um, my older brother, I think he went to a little bit of kindergarten. And I don't know if he went to a little bit of first grade, But anyway, you know, he never ended up going back to traditional school until he went to college, and then he became a pharmacist, and then he went back to medical school, and now he's an anesthesiologist. So it worked out well for him, Um, and I ended up going back to school. So my first day of, of school was actually after Thanksgiving break, walking into eighth grade. And so, you know, school year had already started, you know, all these people already knew each other and they were friends, and it was like, well, here goes nothing, just walked into into school. so um, <laughs> It's
1: like, are, <laughs> and, are these desks? Do we sit in them?
0: Uh, I know. It's like, you know, and, and my education was actually similar to yours. We had big lists of books that we had to read, uh, and then we had, we had a formalized curriculum when I was, you know, going through those first several years, you know, up through seventh grade uh, for math and science and stuff. Um, and we had some vocabulary, grammar type stuff we did, but yeah. everything so else you were was just homeschooled, like
1: homeschooled, basically.
0: Yeah. yeah right. Oh, for, absolutely. Yeah, it was homeschooled. So we we were like, um, but we did a lot of reading, and so um, it turned out that all of that had prepared me actually very well for <laughs> traditional education. And uh, I, I along the way became very interested in the military, and I had this just passion for wanting to join the military and all that kind of stuff. At Somewhere along the way, just kind of became fascinated with the Navy, um, became fascinated with the U.S. Naval Academy, and went through the whole process of um, both looking into and applying to the, the Naval Academy and to Navy ROTC programs for college. Um, actually got into the Academy and got a, a Navy ROTC scholarship. I ended up deciding to go with the ROTC route because... Um, that was more of a blend of traditional education with the Navy stuff along the side, and, you know, the outcome is the same. So went to Villanova University um, outside of Philadelphia. I was a double major in political science and communications there, and uh, doing my Navy stuff um, along the way. Uh, that all, you know, that the, the Navy work definitely took a, a different turn during my uh, the fall of my senior year of college, uh, which was you know, I was, it was September of 2001. And I distinctly remember, you know, on September 11th, seeing a news report that morning of uh, some sort of aircraft hitting one of the World Trade Center towers. And, you know, I I, I remember it was a Tuesday, because um, on Tuesdays on campus, we would wear our uniforms. And so I was in uniform that day. And uh, very shortly thereafter, many of us went over to where our our, our um, Navy ROTC building was on campus, and we just stood there watching, and we saw live, you know, the the buildings collapse, and we knew at that moment, especially those of us who were seniors and planning to be commissioned as officers, uh, you know, that following May, we knew that, hey, like, <laughs> this isn't just go serve, you know, do your couple years in the Navy or whatever, uh, you're going to war. Yeah. And that, that was... Uh, a turning point, certainly for me. Um, after you know, finished up that uh, you know that year, was commissioned as an officer in the Navy and headed off to serve on active duty. Um, I was on a destroyer, USS Preble, um, which is a at the time it was a brand new um, guided missile destroyer, uh, homeported out of San Diego, and I did a very long tour on that 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 ship. I was there for a number of years. Uh, And got to experience, first of all, taking the ship from the East Coast down through the Panama Canal over to San Diego. Um, Got to do a whole bunch of operations off the coast of San Diego. The ship uh, went through some repairs and so forth. And then we deployed over to the Persian Gulf in 2004. Um, So I got to see all that. Got to do all kinds of interesting things during that deployment. See a little bit of the world. Um, and then, uh, you know, decided that I wanted to go off of active duty and go into the reserves, and so I stayed in the reserves ever since, um, and then, you know, obviously got deployed to Afghanistan during 2013, spent all of 2013 as an advisor to the Afghan National Police in Kabul, and that's where, uh, that's where I met you, of course, and um, but along the way, I, I just became so fascinated in how organizations work. And I think it was my experiences in the military, just seeing, you know, I had this impression beforehand that the Navy was a well-oiled machine and everything just worked perfectly all the time. Um, and that's not really the case, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> boy, boy, is it ever. <laughs> right. I mean, it, well, what's fascinating is that even with all of the, the stuff that, that goes on, you know, in terms of people not doing what they're supposed to or whatever. I mean, it's like any organization. Humans are humans. Um, But even with all that, we still maintain ourselves as, no kidding, the best Navy in the entire world that has ever existed. And, uh, you know, so I really became fascinated in issues of leadership and organizations and culture and things related to all of that and how kind of the human side of how organizations function and how we can continually make them better had the opportunity to go get my master's degree in industrial or, and organizational psychology and my phd in organizational science at the university of north carolina at charlotte so i was a staff member this is right after the navy active duty navy i was working as a staff member at that university and uh, became uh, aware of this program that they had uh, and you know took a master's level class in industrial and organizational psychology loved it um, got to know a lot of the professors and then uh, ended up, you know, being lucky enough to get into the PhD program, spent four long years slogging it through, uh, you know, feeling stupid, especially for the first two years, but then eventually, you know, making it through to the other side and finishing that up. Um, I then went to Northern Kentucky University for a number of years uh, as a professor there, also in the field of management. That was, I, I missed, you know, one year while I was there because that's when I got deployed. Uh, and then um, uh, not too long after that, made the transition over to Cleveland State University, which was um, a geographical success for me because my wife is also a professor, she's at Kent State University. And so we lived in Northeast Ohio and I was making this crazy commute and going down to the Cincinnati area every week for for several days, which was dreadful. Um, love the university, love the people there. It was a really tough thing to, to be away and do that commute every week. Uh, so really, really happy that I was able to make it to Northeast Ohio and, uh, yeah. And so I've been at Cleveland state now for a couple of years and love it there and, uh, doing all this great work with you, um, while still doing my Navy stuff. So, you know, that's, that's kind of my education and career so far. Um, yeah. And I even included the bus story. So yeah. Perfect.
1: <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, I guess let's talk about our podcast, uh, is that enough yes. about us?
0: <laughs> I I I think that is. I mean, there there's certainly certainly more, um, but uh I think that's probably good for for now. Um let's yeah, let's talk about our podcast, you know, and I I think maybe one way we could uh start is just kind of why we're doing a podcast and kind of how it emerged from our approach toward consulting.
1: Yeah, so I guess you know, we have all these consulting engagements that we do together and different organizations and there's all these themes that, you know, we bake into the stuff we do. Um, but we kind of needed a platform to talk about some of these more emer- emergent topics, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, our approach towards even founding Indigo Anchor was, you know, we didn't really, weren't really interested in just kind of churning out reports, um, And, you know, wearing fancy suits and stuff, we didn't want to kind of peddle the latest and greatest uh, pop psychology that you might find, you know, at the airport bookstore or whatever. Um, We really wanted to use some evidence-based types of approaches and strategies from academia, from the military, from other, uh, you know, enterprise organizations and so forth. Uh, And we described some of this in in a blog post that we'll put a link up to in the show notes. Uh, but from there, you know, we, we have, as you mentioned, had some, some great success working with some clients, and, um, you know, we, we've noticed that, um, you know, people uh, have taken some of the stuff we've told them and applied it to their personal lives, and, and it's really helped them there as well. And we started kind of thinking, how can we, you know, really dig deeper into these topics? How can we provide another resource for folks?
1: Yeah, you know, so uh, some of our consulting has the traditional stuff, you know, we we might churn out a report or a, a oh, PowerPoint sure. or some something for somebody. But one one of the things about us is we actually want to roll our sleeves up and get in the trenches with people mm-hmm. and do in-depth fixes. Now, that in-depth fixes isn't just like, oh, okay, we did a 6 sigma project or something or Or we tweak this process, but it actually has to, you know, involve both the individual, what's going on in their individual life. We talked about like, hey, are you okay at home? You know, Mm -hmm. what, how do you, do you have a growth mindset in your relationship with others? And how would we know that? How might you know that about yourself? So that like individual piece, and then also Mm -hmm. like team and broader organizational dynamics, that stuff crosses over. Into And I mean, this is probably one of my favorite things. All these great themes from humanity, you know, Aristotle, uh, even I hate to say it, Machiavelli and these kinds of people um, Mm -hmm. talk about this conversation that we've had as humans. Right. And yeah. And so like our consulting work ends up being like people work. It ends up being like the culture work within that organization, which ends up being broader, broader cultural work, you know, like, you know, what is integrity? How are you going to live your life with integrity? How will that impact how you lead your teams? And all all of that stuff, you know, like you said, was having a super positive impact in the lives of people in the organization and and the people on the teams. Like, wow, my boss isn't a clueless jerk anymore. This is,
0: (laughs) (laughs) this is great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I I thought that helped us reach a broader audience than, um, than just the organization individuals we're working with. And, you know, a podcast helps us bake those themes into people that may not have the benefit of a consulting engagement with us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's been really interesting talking about this podcast with other people and they've, some people ask me, well, who is your audience? And, and, you know, I, I don't really know how to answer that, because I think that'll determine itself, because a lot of the things we're going to talk about in this, uh, you know, as we move through this journey, I think are going to apply at multiple levels of, you know, uh, people's careers, you know, I think some of the stuff will be very helpful and interesting for people very early in their careers, I think other stuff will be very helpful and uh, compelling for those people who are uh, very senior in their organizations, um, and I think the, the thing that's going to determine whether or not people like our podcast is really whether or not they are curious and uh, want to go beyond just the, hey, here are three things you can do to make your life amazing types of approaches that we see everywhere.
1: Right. Like I, I love how you, that was exactly the word that was coming to my mind. This, this is a podcast for curious people. If you ever wondered, mm-hmm. uh, well, how do I have better teams? or uh how do i live a better life since i have to spend so much of my life at work i mean yeah. we're going to cross all of those kinds of themes and it's not going to only be about like the management literature and that kind of stuff we are going to have interviews with people um academics con- you know other consultants people that deliver um thought leadership in this space uh, but curiosity's got to be the driver for you i think to to get what we would hope for you to have out of this podcast
0: right, and you know most of the uh podcasts so we just li- so you and I both listen to a lot of podcasts, and you know you mentioned that you have a background in music I you know have also dabbled in music as well, and so we have kind of this recording background too, which makes us uh useful for for what we're doing here um but you know when we when you and I have listened to a lot of the other business and management and leadership related podcasts out there, one thing you and I have discussed is just that, you know, many of them tend to really try to oversimplify, I think, the complex nature of organizational life and try to, and, and they, I don't think it's, it's, I think it is well-intentioned usually. It's like, hey, I want to give these people some, you know, three easy steps to do something. Um but the the problem is that that's that doesn't i don't think promote a deeper understanding necessarily of um of what's going on and when you only have you know a couple tools in your toolbox then you're kind of kind of see everything as you know when, a, when all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail right and Uh, So I'm hopeful that what we do in this podcast makes people, you know, satisfies and feeds some of their curiosity, but makes them even more curious and inspires people to really become lifelong learners and uh, bold difference makers within their organizations. You know, I I think it's important to, you know, take the mindset that we are always students uh, and, you know, and there's always more to know about things. Um, so I think we're trying to provide kind of an antidote or maybe a counterpoint to some of that, uh, overly simplistic, um, approach approaches that we see out there towards work and life while kind of bridging this gap between social science and management practice and so forth.
1: Yeah. And I, as I actually want to organize a coup against the shenanigans and garbage that bring us down in life. So, <laughs> so if if we can equip individuals to know how to navigate organizations and breed healthiness and the people around them, that's gonna have a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Conversely, if we can help organizations maybe structurally shift how they operate, how they hire, how they treat people, how they promote, you know, salaries, all that kind of stuff, it can have an I- impact on the um individuals that have have maybe come up in a variety of organizations that had mixed uh, organizational health, if you will. And so, mm-hmm. if if we can change individuals and equip them with this knowledge, I I think we can actually create a, a better planet to live in. And I know that sounds grandiose, but that's definitely where my passion and and heart is in these matters.
0: Hey, I, I'm right there with you, and you know that because uh, you know that's why that's why we're. We're doing this whole thing. Um, You know, it really does have a higher purpose, I think, than just, you know, talking for a while and recording it and putting it out there and so forth. Um, Because as you mentioned, you know, so much of life itself is organizational in nature. We spend our time in organizations. And if we can make that better, we will indeed make the world a better place. Um, And, you know, so I think what our listeners can expect out of the podcast is, uh, you know, some in-depth conversation. Uh, We will, you know, we're going to try, uh, certainly, to provide some actionable tips and techniques and stuff like that to help people out. Um, At the same time, life and work, these are complex topics, and so, um, you know, we're going to dig deep into them. Uh, You know, our our episodes are, in some of our topics, you know, we're not necessarily going to have the, hey, you must do this type of approach, um, because there's a lot of kind of it depends types of contingencies with all of these types of topics.
1: Yeah, and We're also not going to shy away from the difficult topics. You know, everybody likes to pretend that everything's hunky-dory, and it's just not. Um, and, yeah. and, and if we don't acknowledge how things actually are, we, we don't have an opportunity um, to provide the tools or to talk about what we might explore to, to be able to make it better. Um, Absolutely. One of the things that was interesting is, like, before we even started this, I was like, hey, we need a manifesto. Yeah. Right? And, and, <laughs> and so, and so we we wrote a manifesto, and maybe— We did. May, should we share that?
0: I, I think we should. I think we should. I think it is central to what we're trying to do here. I think it'll give people an idea of our approach and where we're thinking. Uh, So the manifesto is on our website, um, but I think we can go ahead and share that with folks right now. What do you say? Yeah, I guess, why don't you take the first couple paragraphs? Sounds good. Okay, so this is the Indigo Manifesto. We believe that the world is better when people flourish at work. Today work and work-related activities comprise a major share of the hours we're awake. This wasn't always the case. In fact, organizations as we know them today, by and large, did not exist until the Industrial Revolution, which occurred generally in the latter half of the 1700s through the first half of the 1800s. Even then, it took another half-century or so before people began to shift in mass from agricultural, family-centered existence to employment as we know it today. Prior to this shift, the primary large organizations with which people interacted included only governments and their military forces, along with various organized religions and some educational institutions.
1: Yeah, so now we live our lives in many ways through and as members of organizations. Many of us are born in healthcare organizations. Shortly after birth, at least in the United States, we enter various government organizations that register us issue us birth certificates, and issue us social security numbers. It's likely that we then often experience various forms of childcare organizations, followed by preschools, schools, and work organizations. Along the way, we're likely to spend some time in various other organizations, be they civic, sports-related, religious, or social in nature. Of course, we also engage in and with numerous organizations on a daily basis through our work, commerce, and play. All of these organizational encounters and experience shape us. They give us identity and answer the question, what do you do? They put us in contact with numerous other people who influence us, who in turn we influence. Because of these realities, these taken for granted features of modern existence, if we want to make the world a better place, a great place to focus upon is the workplace.
0: Focusing upon work and the people that conduct that work is our passion, and by improving the conversation and path forward regarding the future of work and organizations, we hope to have a positive influence on people everywhere. We believe that human flourishing is a complex, multi-level interaction. That brings us to the idea of flourishing. What do we mean by human flourishing? We understand human flourishing through both what it is and what it is not. Flourishing is akin to thriving. It includes the full spectrum of wellness. It includes growth, resilience, and living a life in an optimal range of one's potential. Flourishing is not simply human survival. At an individual level, human flourishing has psychological foundations and components,
1: along with associated notions of how we see the world and our place within it. The vast majority of modern existence puts us in contact with others. These interactions raise the questions, how should we act in the world? The answer to this question involves an examination of morality and what compass might guide us as we move forward. Modernity is a story of emergent human thriving. Despite the many substantial problems and suffering that certainly exist, quality of life has indeed improved dramatically during the past two centuries, and yet, Technological advancements pose new challenges regarding the world of both work and daily life, along with the intended and unintended consequences of those advancements. Given that life is organizational in nature, the concept of human flourishing necessitates an exploration of the relationship between people at work as individuals and the organizations in which they are members. It also involves the complex interactions that we have with each other on a daily basis and how we navigate social norms. At some level, we want people to admire us, to like us, to want to be around us, and
0: we want that admiration or connection to be deserved. We want to be worthy of it. But what does that look like, and how do we achieve it in a modern society and in the modern world of work? Beyond the individual and team or organizational level, human flourishing involves additional questions about our communities, the social fabric that brings us together, or creates fault lines between groups and the broader context of all organizations. These broader collectives must also ask themselves, how should we act in the world? With regard to human flourishing, the connections among employees, organizations, their various stakeholders, and their specific environments matter greatly. Suboptimal flourishing is a loss of life that has nothing to do with death, but a loss of the life best lived. This is the stuff that makes the world better. This flourishing must be enabled by both the exploration of these
1: larger themes and sets of actionable practices. Human flourishing is necessarily a complex topic, yet is one of the utmost importance, with implications for society, organizations, teams, leaders, and daily life. We believe that opportunities to improve human flourishing abound. Our experience in organizations, both as members of them and as consultants working to improve them, suggests that human flourishing is not particularly common. That means there is much opportunity for improvement. We want to explore these opportunities by examining the relevant social science and finding evidence-based practices that will help. Our approach is inherently interdisciplinary, with insights coming from the fields of industrial organizational psychology, management, sociology, communication studies, political science, philosophy, and more. It is within this space that we dedicate our efforts as curious people, academics, consultants, and practitioners and swing for the fences to make the world better. I think our manifesto pretty much sums it up. Uh, Indeed it does.
0: So that wraps up this About Us episode. Thanks a lot for listening, and I know I can speak for both of us that we're looking forward to this journey with all of you. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast.